Welcome home and welcome to the Mount Carmel Ministries podcast. Today we pick up with Frank Lanier in his second night of preaching at Mount Carmel last summer. Kind of give you all some inside information. I think I've only told a couple of people so far. Uh, I did my ancestry DNA and obviously I'm majority African, but one surprising part that showed up in my uh, DNA is I'm 2% Swedish. So (laughs) hello, brothers and sisters, right? (laughs) That really surprised me. (laughs) So I got to talk to some ancestors there. So Um, But going along with what I want to talk about tonight, if you remember yesterday, we talked about humility, being a part of that, of that, uh, that vision, that, that desire to have joy, and how do we win in times of suffering with joy? Humility was yesterday, and that's a part of one of the things that Paul is drawing out in Philippians. Another thing that I saw as I studied it was the concept of unity and how important that is for joy. Uh, if, you, if you know anything about Paul's life, he loved people. He loved fellowship. He always wanted to go and visit a church and fellowship with them, and they encouraged him. He encouraged them, and it really built him up for the next round of suffering, basically for him, (laughs) that he was going to endure. So unity and, and fellowship for him was really important, and I think it's not only important for Paul. I mean, Jesus is God and man. And yet he traveled around with a few people himself, didn't he? Um, he did take time to uh, get off on his own, but he also, I think he, he enjoys fellowship. God in himself is a communal God, isn't he? He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he created us in his image, and we should be people of community also. So speaking of unity, as one of the concepts that Paul is drawing upon for us to be able to find this joy in times of suffering. So I figured, what is unity? What are we looking for when we talk about unity? I looked it up in the one of the old school dictionaries, because you can't trust those new ones now. They, they make up words to add. So I went back way to the 1600s of Webster. And, <laughs> and Webster says, it is a state or condition of being whole or one. And then it has the uh, semicolon, and then it says oneness. Oneness. And I thought that was really interesting because for the unity in the church and relationship among Christians in our relationships, oneness is achieved through purpose. One of the things that, um, one of the nicknames that I have for my wife is she's my oneness. That's what I tell people. I call her my oneness because we're meant to be one. And it doesn't mean that we stop being who we are. God has this amazing way of, 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 uh, paradoxes where we talked about it yesterday, right? And then you have this, what I'm going to talk about, uh, open it up a little bit later, unity and diversity. It's not God making us this homogenous group of people that we're all the same. He does this unity in a way that blows our minds and blows the mind of the world. He doesn't invade a culture and sterilizes it. He redeems people in that culture and then allows them to become evangelists of that culture. And so what you have now is this this wonderful symphony orchestra 
of God's people around the world, sharing the gospel, praising the Lord on Sunday, giving him glory throughout the week. And everywhere you go in the world, you can find it. It's amazing, amazing that we have brothers and sisters everywhere from here to Egypt, to Africa, to Asia, to China, I mean, everywhere, Antarctica. <laughs> I'm sure there's some believers there somewhere. I might have to look a little deeper, but I'm sure they're there. But everywhere, brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's this understanding of unity, and that unity comes from this idea of purpose. Without purpose, we can't have unity. We, we got to have a goal, right? And our goal is to glorify God and then make disciples. That's our goal for being here. Otherwise, God would just kind of shoot us on up into heaven, right? But he has us all here for a purpose, and that's to glorify him and make disciples. Now, the thing about unity is we don't want to lose who we are as people of God as we unify. There are some non-negotiables, right? <laughs> one of the, uh, I think one of the main themes here is Jesus only, right? Non-negotiable. <laughs> if you're going to be in the family of God, Jesus only. There's no other way to heaven. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. None shall come to the Father except through me. I am the resurrection. Even if one should die, he will live. And then he asks the question, do you believe this? So unity without truth will quickly become disunity. And so we have to stand for truth. And in trying times, it becomes more difficult to stand for truth. And sometimes what some of us, some of our brothers and sisters can do is tend to compromise truth in order to have unity. And God's people, at some point, we got to draw a line in the sand, right? Now, in these times that we're living in now with the COVID and civil unrest and everything, some areas around the world, or maybe even our country, they felt like they may have had to draw the line in the sand. Uh, thank the Lord so far, I don't feel like we've had to do that here in Minnesota. I felt like we've come close a couple times, but not quite there yet. But if we do, if we do, we do not compromise, even to the point of death. We are to remain obedient to the call that God has given us, right? We want unity, but we won't dilute the source of that unity for it, right? Now, why is unity so important for, for Christians? Well, I'm going to talk about three reasons why unity is so important for Christians. One, it's a command. And a command is a command. It's not an option. It's not, it's not a compromise. God said it. We got to do it. Two, we are living behind enemy lines. The world is not a happy place. When you become a believer and a follower of Christ, this is no longer Disney World. <laughs> this is not a happy place. We are behind enemy lines. And number three, it is in unity that we win. It is in unity that we win. And so I'm going to unpack some, these three reasons why unity is important. One, it's a command from God. If you look at Genesis chapter 1, 27 and 28, and most of you probably haven't even have it memorized. 27 and 28 of Genesis chapter 1 says, So God created man in his own image. 
In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, this is emphasis mine, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. Multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This idea of unity God introduced to mankind began with a certain relationship. It began in the relationship of marriage. And I believe that that is one of the most important earthly relationships that we have is marriage. It is through marriage that we make families. It is through families that villages are made. It is through villages that cities are made, and it is from cities that we create societies. These are not bad things. This is what God intended us to do. He intended us to multiply on the earth. He intended us to steward and rule the earth in a way that honors him. We are to be creators after the character and the command of God with everything God has supplied us here on planet earth. These chairs made out of wood, that is following God's command. These buildings, these playgrounds, everything here, this, this is following God's command. This is what he intended for us to do and to be. And when we are doing these things together, we are glorifying God. John 13, 34, and 35. Now, I know a lot of times people like say, well, that's Old Testament. Old Testament is, you know, that's the old covenant. We, we're in the new covenant. Well, sometimes we figure out new covenant, sometimes a little bit more, uh, more demanding than the old. <laughs> Jesus says in John 13, 34, and 35, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, this is why, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Did he mention anything about biblical knowledge? Did he mention anything about obtaining a lot of stuff and looking wealthy and, and, and happy on the beach? Love one another. In any condition, this is, this is the thing about Paul, whatever circumstance I find myself in, I am content. What is the importance of that? Because if he is content, he is still able to love other people. If we're not content in our circumstances, we're not able to love other people. I know this because my wife and I are living it with our children. <laughs> right? <laughs> if any of our kids are not happy, guess what? They want the other ones to not be happy with them. <laughs> That's how sin works. Sin is not an isolated incident. I did a, a sermon uh, some times ago, a uh, few years ago, and it was titled, Sin is a Grenade. When we sin, it affects everything around us, right? And so, just like unity requires a group, also disunity and sin will not be an isolated thing. It will affect those around us as well. And so, we operate in love. We find contentment in Christ, and then that spills out over us to one another in love. And this is not an option, Christian. This is a command, Love one another. The other reason why it is important is we're living behind enemy lines. There's a, there's a prevailing notion, a concept, and sometimes I think this has even infiltrated the church, Church Universal, not, not 
necessarily particular churches, is that, and we won't admit it, is that this idea of people being fundamentally good. It's a great concept, but it's not true. Oh, if people were fundamentally good, the world would be a better place. But that is not what the Word of God tells us. The Word of God tells us that we are all born into sin. The Word of God tells us that the world is broken. It is in direct rebellion, right? In 1 Thessalonians 2, 2, Paul gives a little detail about some of the mistreatment that he got while he was in Philippi. There was persecution going on in Philippi during this time. And Christians were not just free, uh, admitted to go freely around and, and, and just share the gospel with anyone out in the open. That wasn't how it was at this time. It was, it was tough for them. The rebellion that we see in this world is not just a physical one. We, we, we may see slavery. We may see abortion. We, we may see abuse. But what we don't see are the evil forces behind these acts. In 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 through 5, we are warned that for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. See, this, this idea of being behind enemy lines is not just a physical concept. It's also a spiritual one. The rebellion against God is not just on one level, it's on two. It's on a physical level as we see in our condition in the world for humanity, but it's also on a spiritual level. There are spiritual beings who have rebelled against God who love to make an impact on this broken world, and I think they're doing a pretty good job of it in recent times. And this is why unity is so important because, one, living behind enemy lines, we're going to need encouragement. Um. Going through suffering alone is much tougher than going through suffering with someone who knows what you're going through. I think about a, a book I read that made a huge impact on my life called The Hiding Place. And though Corey Tim Boone wrote, I thought it was about Corey, but as I read the book, I've learned it's about her sister, Betsy. Betsy was my hero. That woman was something else. I mean, anybody that says, praise the Lord for the fleas because it kept the men from abuse. <laughs> I was like, what a perspective. What a perspective. I don't know if Corey would have had the wherewithal to endure what she did if her sister Betsy wasn't there for most of that. Now, we know the Lord called Betsy home um, in the midst of that. But I think it was her encouragement on Corey that allowed Corey to become what she became after that such an encouragement to so many others. So um, being behind enemy lines, it's helpful to have those around us willing to suffer with us. And the other thing about being behind enemy lines is that if we're not careful, it'll affect us. Romans 16, verses 17 and 18. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine you have been taught. 
How many brothers and sisters, I don't even know if we can call them them anymore, how many folks have fallen away from the faith because they were taught a doctrine that was different than the one that they grew up with? Leaders, ministry leaders, pastors, Christian celebrities. Oh, I'm questioning my faith now. Oh, I'm not sure if Christianity is, is, is for me. You know what's interesting? I've never heard, now I could be wrong, I'm, I'm, this is just my personal um, interaction with reading, and I've never heard any of them say it was false. I've all heard them say it's not for me, or I just don't know if I can do that anymore. I don't think Christianity is found to be wanting. I think it's found to be difficult for them. And they just drop the ball and quit. And that's why endurance is so important because this world is going to beat on us. It is going to pressure us. And we can better handle that pressure and those beatings if we know that we are unified as one. I, this is one of my things I always tell people, and I did it for my kids. And when I used to teach the uh, kids at church, I say, Christians aren't meant to be the cool kids in class. We're going to be the ones that are being bullied and made fun of. And we have to be prepared for that. Ephesians 2 talks about how we once walked following the course of the world. And here's where we get an inside look at who's responsible on a spiritual level. Ephesians 2.2. 2. And what you once walked following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. See, we're sons and daughters of obedience. We're sons and daughters of the day. But there is a spirit at work in sons and daughters of disobedience, sons and daughters of night, and they outnumber us. So if you think getting, getting more uh, physical weapons or picketing more than them is going to work, it's not. This is not our home. This is why I said we are behind enemy lines. This earth is passing away, and all the philosophies and all of the things that are contained within it, are going with it. The only things that are going to last forever is God and everything that belongs to him. And that's us. <laughs> Praise the Lord. We will live past this age. That is a huge blessing. And that's my third point. The reason why unity is so important, because it is through unity that we win. In unity... If we're doing it right, we end up glorifying God with our lives. In unity, if we are right, some of the people who are living in darkness will come to the light. In unity, if we are doing it right, we all get eternal life. So in unity, we are to glorify God with our lives. Let's stay in Romans. We're in, uh, go back to Romans. You don't have to search because I'm... I know you're doing finger calisthenics right now if you're trying to go through your Bible. So just, just walk with me. Romans 15, 5 and 6. May the God of endurance, see, endurance, and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice, one voice, glorify God and Father, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. One voice. One voice. That voice may have a lot of different dialects and languages, 
but it's one voice. It's the voice of the Spirit of God working in the hearts of the people of God, calling out to those who are lost, who are meant to be the sheep of God. And as Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. We are glorifying God when we are in unity. We are living after God's character of being Father, Son, Holy Spirit when we are living in unity. Is God ever in disunity with himself? No. I don't, I've never heard in God's word where the Son and the Holy Spirit got into an argument. <laughs> well, the Father ever had to spank the eternal Son. I don't think I've ever read that in the Bible. <laughs> they get along pretty well. And so should we also. Not only glorifying God, but people come to faith when they see the people of God unified. John 17, 21 through 23. Can you tell a love scripture? That they may all be one. All of who? All of the believers. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Why did Jesus rescue the, I mean, why did God rescue the Israelites um, from Egypt? What was his purpose for that? Yeah, it was to rescue them, but what was the other purpose? So that Egypt and the world would know the power of God. God was introducing himself. Hey, guys, I'm about to do something big. Guess who I am? I'm the creator of everything. He was introducing himself because they spent 400 years in these false pantheistic religion. They had forgotten about their God, and God was saying, it's time to let the world know what I've done. The glory, verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I've given to them so that they may be one even as we are one. And here's the important part about that. Verse 23, I in them. If we abide in Christ and Christ abide in us, right? And it's one thing when we talk about abiding in Christ, just being in church and everything. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, a fruit gets its nutrients from the vine. That means as that vine is flowing with life, that life is being filled up in that fruit. And if we are fruit connected to the vine that is Christ, the life of Christ should be flowing through us, supplying us with that spiritual nutrients to live that spiritual life that God has called us to. Now, if we're ever broken off the vine, guess what happens? What happens to a flower or fruit that breaks off the vine? It dies. Our unity dies if we don't remain in Christ. He is the source of our unity. And the Spirit enables us to stay connected to the source. Verse 23, I in them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one. We're not there yet. <laughs> we're, we're striving, though. I like the way Paul says, I have not obtained, but I'm striving. Are we striving, brothers and sisters, for that unity? 
One of the most divisive things in the church is not even that important, worship. I don't like the songs they sing. Are you kidding me? You're going to leave a church because you don't like the way they sing the songs? What kind of unity is that? There's something as simple and as small as that can divide a church. We're too fragile. We're to be stones. Stones are hard. We're not to be glass. A house made of glass is easily broken, but a house made of stone can withstand the storms. And in America, we become glass houses instead of houses of stone. And we have to come back being houses of stone connected together by the mortar of the spirit. And it cannot be broken. And if that means that my church sings bluegrass, blue, bluegrass worship, I will sing bluegrass worship. Or if my church sings urban worship, I will sing urban worship. Because I'm going to tell you what, in heaven, there is no segregation. We're all going to be singing the same song. We should be practicing that type of unity now. <clears throat> and lastly, it gives us eternal life. And we can go back to Philippians 127, our home passage, our home book, our home letter. And I read this yesterday. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm. And that idea of standing firm, if you remember warfare in the first century in the Roman army, Paul loved like, I'm learning the more I study Paul, he loved athletics. He would have loved ESPN. <laughs> and he loved talking about war. He was <laughs> and so he talks about standing firm. And if you've ever seen one of the formations that the Roman army did called the Tortuga, when they all had their shields up, and, it, and they held together. And so there was nothing, no spear or anything could get in because they held their shields together up and down and around, and they, no one could get past it. It was one of the defensive formations. And you know what? That's what God wants us to fight, a defensive warfare. He just says, stand, stand firm. We don't have to win. Why? Because Christ already won. The battle is won. All we have to do is keep standing. It reminds me of a Rocky movie. That's one of my favorite movies. I'm telling you, every time Rocky fought somebody, I know there's like, he will never fall. <laughs> he gets right back up, doesn't he? And in the end, what? He's the last one standing. That's all it was. He got punched a lot more than the other guy did, but he was the last one standing. And that's what God is saying. You're going to get hit by this world. You're going to get punched. Stand. Stand firm. Stand firm. In one spirit, one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Can you just picture in your mind that Tortuga formation? Christians standing side by side, unmovable by the philosophies, the empty philosophies, the empty ideologies of the world. And there are many of them and they come and they bash against us like a flood, but we will not be moved. Why? Because we're unified. We are one. We are one. 
And as much as the waves beat against the mountain, the mountain does not move. Now, one of the ideologies that stands against us is this ideology of individualism. I also looked that one up too. So here's the definition of individualism. <laughs> individualism is an ideology that emphasizes the interests of the individual as opposed to the community. So it's not necessarily a bad thing to understand that individual people are important. But I think individualism is a mistake. You know, it's been practiced in the past, right? It's even been practiced in the Bible. Did y'all know that? Individualism is not a new concept. You know where we see it? In the book of Judges. One of the main themes in the book of Judges is there was no king and everyone did what was right in their own eyes, right? Isn't that individualism? How did that turn out in Judges? <laughs> Not so good. Not so good. See, if everyone is doing what's right in their own eyes, no one is doing what's right in God's eyes. Because none of us, as God said, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who is seeking after God. And so if we're deciding to do what's right in our own eyes, no one is doing what's right in God's eyes. And we're quickly heading in that direction in this world right now. Now, what I think, what I think we want to understand is Imago Dei. Imago Dei versus individualism. See, individualism focuses on the individualism, focus on the individual in sake of the community. Imago Dei doesn't do that. See, Imago Dei encourages unity where individualism discourages it. Imago Dei is the understanding that every human being is important in the eyes of God and thus should be important in the eyes of God's people. We are willing to give to those who even think different from us. We are willing to love those who think different from us. We are willing to love one another and give to one another. The world watches this and the world sees that the main philosophy in the world is self-interest. But the main philosophy in the church is others' interest. That's weird. How does that work? Don't. Aren't you getting taken advantage of? Aren't people? No, because we love one another. We give to one another so that none is lacking in the body of Christ. Who wouldn't want to be a part of that? Now, we got to remember that the unity God is talking about is not a sterile unity. From last I heard, I think there's, what, 36,000 denominations? <laughs> Christian, that is crazy. <laughs> and we all have our differences and things. Some of us like to dunk. Some of us like to sprinkle. Some of us, yada, yada, yada. When I think about my brothers and sisters that are dying around the world right now, they're not dying for a certain form of baptism. They're not dying for a certain form of way they look at communion. They're dying for Jesus. 
You remember when those, uh, when ISIS put those 21 Coptic Christians on their knees on the beach? Now, some of us in America tend to think other Christians may not really understand what it means to follow Christ because we think we have all the news and all of the, all of the knowledge about who Christ is. But I wonder if we were in the same position as those 21 men in front of the world with our lives hanging in the balance and they told us, recant Christ and you will live or we will kill you on the spot. If we would have the same courage to stand for Christ or kneel for Christ at that time. Every single one of those men did not recant Christ and they gave their lives for the Lord. I don't care if they're Coptic Christians. I don't care if they're Ethiopian Christians. I don't care if they're Asian. They are my brothers and they represented their God well. And they're in heaven right now with the Lord celebrating their victory. Because for them, death is victory. And then what Paul said, for me to, to live as Christ, to die is what? Gain. It's a win-win for the Christian. So why fear? Our opponents are the ones that are losing, as he says in chapter 1. It's our salvation. So, in closing, why is unity important? It's a command. God didn't give us the option to be grouchy with one another. He even says in Philippians, right? Do everything without grumbling and complaining. You hear that, my, my kids? That's one, of, that's one of our main verses at home, isn't it? Do everything without grumbling and complaining. They know that word perfectly. And it's so interesting that you find it in God's word. You, you think that that's such an easy thing, but that's one of the main things we do more than anything. One of the biggest sins that we have is grumbling and complaining, probably next to forgetting, forgetting what God has done. Forgetting how good he is to us every day and then grumbling and complaining. It's a command, but it should be one that we should take on joyfully. Why would I not want to love someone else? And why would I not want them to love me? It's the most basic fundamental need we have. Two, we're living behind enemy lines. We can never grow complacent in this world. The moment we get a victory is our weakest moment. It is in those moments that the uh, enemy has a surprise ambush for us, isn't it? We can never grow complacent. And one of the ways that we can keep from doing that is having brothers and sisters standing with us, holding us accountable, helping us, encouraging us, correcting us when the need is there to be corrected. Don't receive correction disrespectfully. They're doing it because they love you. Humbly receive that correction and change and repent. And lastly, that's how we're going to win. That's how we're going to win. All the knowledge in the world, all the resources in the world. Jesus says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? For him, one life is worth the entire world. 99 sheep are okay. When we go around that one sheep that needs help, bring them back into the fold where it's safe. 
their strength in numbers. We're going to sing a song. This is a surprise. Miss um, Miss Patsy was not planning to do this. I I, spr I sprung that on her on her a couple of hours ago, and she is willing to do it. But it's a song. It's funny that I didn't know in English because I learned it in Hebrew. <laughs> so I was like, you know, Hina Matov, the, the Psalm 133, I don't know how to sing it in English. So we got the Hebrew version, and it's a, it's a great uh, song because it's about how good it is for brothers to dwell in unity. And that's what, that's what you're singing in Hebrew, how good it is for brothers to dwell in unity. I'm going to get out the way, and I'm going to sing with everyone else. All right, we'll see what we can do. I'm not going to play on the guitar or whatever. We're just going to sing it. Um, and this is not written in Hebrew, obviously, for those of you that can read Hebrew. It's written in Patsy ease of uh, understanding how to say it. <laughs> but anyway, it's obviously Psalm 133.1. Uh, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. And uh, when you go visit Israel, any of you have? How many of you have visited over there? Yeah, anyway, when we went to the one thing one time, here they started singing it, and my our Hebrew professor in seminary had taught this to us. So we go, huh, we know this song. <laughs> All right, and this is kind of how it goes, okay? And I'm just going to sing it low in my... So it's just, if you look where it says as it sounds in Hebrew, just follow me along here a minute. Hine ma tovu manaim, shevet akim gam yachad. You got to go, get it out of there. Hine ma tovu manaim, shevet akim gam yachad. So you do that twice. So let's just learn that part first, okay? Hine ma tovu manaim, shevet akim gam yachad. Hine ma tovu manaim, shevet akim gam yachad. Now this part goes. Hine ma tov, shevet akim gam yachad. Just try that much first. Hine ma tov, shevet akim gam yachad. Good. Then it goes. Hine ma tov, shevet akim. Try that last part. Hine ma tov, shevet akim gam yachad. There, now you've learned a little Hebrew. Let's sing the whole thing. We'll see if we can do it. It's a round, but I don't think we're going to go there tonight. Okay. Hine, hine, where were we? Ah, help me with a note. There, we'll start there. I don't know what key we're in. Whatever. Hine ma tovu manaim, shevet akim gam yachad. Hine ma tovu manaim, shevet akim gam yachad. Hine ma tov, shevet akim gam yachad. Hine ma tov, shevet akim gam yachad. Thank you for joining us this week on the Mount Carmel Ministries podcast. We'll see you next time.